covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Uh, we've got a lot to get to on uh, today's program. And, but before we even get to that, I just want to say thank you. We, uh, this is episode number five, so we've been on for uh, just over a month. I'll tell you what, the feedback that we've gotten both on social media and the number of listens and everything, it has been fantastic. So I really appreciate you being uh, tuned in. For the folks out there that when I tweet it out, uh, give it a retweet. That's great. We're trying to uh, put together something that Brewers fans can really enjoy listening to uh, each and every week. And if you ever have feedback, if you ever have questions, if you've uh, if you got some comments on some things that are said inside the podcast, feel free to tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio. That's M-A-T-T-P-A. U-L-E-Y radio. It's always fun to take the content from the podcast and be able to turn it into an extended uh, conversation on Twitter. So I enjoy doing that. So please feel free to do that as you listen to the program on an each and every week basis. Here's what we've got uh, on the program this week. We're going to be talking with uh, Nicholas Zettel. He is the editor of uh, BP Milwaukee that is uh, Baseball Prospectus. And uh, they just, they, they do a great job. I'm I've said this before on the program, and I will continue to say it. I'm I I tend to be old school, for lack of a better term, uh, in terms of the uh, uh, the advanced statistics and the saber metrics and, and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of it is really complicated, and it, it goes over my head. Uh, but I understand its place in baseball. I understand how important it is. I, I understand how correct it is as well. You know, just because sometimes I look at guys from a baseball card number perspective, the old batting average, home runs, RBIs for uh, for position players, and, you know, win-loss record, ERA, strikeouts for pitchers, I understand there's more than that, and, you know, especially with pitchers, because, you know, win-loss record, that is the most flawed basic statistic in all of baseball because there are so many things that go into a pitcher winning or losing a game beyond how that pitcher actually goes out and, and performs. So I say all that to say this. Uh, baseball prospectus does a- as good a job as uh, as anybody really putting together these advanced numbers to try to tell stories and, and that's what it's all about it's all about telling the story and uh, they they don't they don't run away from kind of the old school baseball stuff i mean they've got scouts they've got eyes on players, and they do a great job. So uh, we've got a conversation with uh, Nicholas Zettel from uh, Baseball Prospectus uh, Milwaukee coming up here in uh, in just a while, and that's going to be fun. And then just a real treat for me. Uh, if you've been listening each week, you know we've been uh, cycling through uh, the different broadcasters for the different minor league affiliates uh, for the Brewers. We started. Uh, we've been doing the full season teams, and we started at Low A, and we've we've moved our way up. This week we get to Triple A. And uh, it's a little bit more special for me this week because before I was uh, here in Milwaukee, I was working with AAA Colorado Springs, and I got to uh, sit alongside uh, Dan Karcher, the very, very, very talented, uh, longtime voice of the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. So to get him on the program today is a lot of fun, and uh, look forward to that. You know, as we um, as we look back at the the week that was in Brewers baseball and what's going on in spring training. I want to open up the show today by kind of looking at two different battles and some of the early numbers. Now, I am recording this on Sunday evening, Sunday, March 5th. 
So uh, depending on when you are listening to this during the week, some of these numbers I'm about to go over may end up being uh, not completely and totally correct. But uh, we're starting to maybe get a little bit of a, a view of how these battles are starting to play out. Now, mind you, we have a ton of time. We're still just about a month out from the season opener, just under a month uh, when the Brewers will open up at home against the uh, Colorado Rockies. That will be on Monday, April 3rd. So all that being said, these numbers right now don't mean that much. Uh, But guys are leaving for the World Baseball Classic. Individuals are going to get more opportunities. And, And again, these things are playing out. So I wanted to quickly take a look at uh, the battles that are going on for um, for for a couple positions, and I feel like uh, Matt Garza, Jimmy Nelson, and Tommy Malone are really battling for a couple spots in the starting rotation. For me, uh, I look at uh, Zach Davies, I look at Junior Guerra, and and I look at Willie Peralta as guys that are going to grab a spot in the rotation. So then who's going to go get those final two spots? Well, uh, Garza, Nelson, and Malone are, are certainly competing for those two spots. And at best, you know, two of those three guys would move into them. There's other guys out there that, that, that are certainly uh, in the mix for the, the starting pitching competition as well. But uh, through games on Sunday, here's where those three guys are sitting. Matt Garza has made one appearance. He did that this past Thursday against Seattle. He threw one inning. He gave up uh, one hit, threw 15 pitches, nine of which were uh, strikes. He did not have a strikeout. He did not have a walk. Jimmy Nelson has also made one appearance. He appeared on Friday. He uh, appeared out of the bullpen, threw one inning, gave up an unearned run on one hit, two strikeouts, though, nine walks, or no, no walks, excuse me, nine pitches is what I mean to say. Interestingly enough, he throws nine pitches. All of them are strikes. He doesn't throw a single ball. And uh, there have been times where maybe his ability to hit that strike zone has become an issue. So good to see him throwing strikes in the early going. And then a little bit more of a sample size on Tommy Malone. He's had two appearances, one out of the bullpen and one as a starter. And mind you, if he doesn't make it in the starting rotation, he will probably be uh, in the bullpen. He made his uh, first appearance this past Wednesday. That was the bullpen game. He went one inning, uh, did not give up a hit, had uh, one strikeout, no walks. He threw five. Pitches, all of them went for strikes, and then uh, he made his second debut of spring on Sunday against the Rockies. He got the start in that game, and he was stretched out just a bit more. He went two innings. He did give up two hits, one strikeout, no walks. Uh, he threw ten pitches, and he had uh, nine strikes. So, uh, so far, so good for all three of those guys. We'll see how it starts to look as they get stretched out a bit more. The other battle is uh, for behind the plate as the catcher. And mind you, we're going to go over offensive numbers here. When you're looking at catchers, uh, what they do defensively is just as, if not more important than what they do at the plate. But all three guys that are battling are known as pretty good defensive catchers. So let's just put the fact that they're all pretty good defensive catchers on the table and look at what they have done so far uh, through the games played on Sunday. Manny Pena, who to me was kind of the the third of the three catchers. Now he uh, he does not he would have to be able to uh, pass through waivers to be able to get uh, designated and, and go to AAA. So there's a chance that he makes the team as the as as a catcher even as a backup catcher over someone else just because of options that are remaining. But all that being said, uh, so far he's kind of leading the way. 
He's had uh, 10 at-bats so far, four hits in those 10 at-bats. He's driven in two runs, has a batting average of 400, an on-base percentage of uh, 455, and his OPS is sitting at 955. The other two guys have struggled a bit at the plate. Andrew Susak has had 13 at-bats. He has three hits. He has scored four runs, but has yet to uh, drive in any runs. His average sits at 231. His uh, on-base sits at 375, and his OPS is at 606. And then uh, you look at Jet Band. He has had 13 uh, at-bats as well. Just two hits in the 13 at-bats. No runs scored. No RBIs. His batting average sitting at 154. On base at 214. His OPS at 368. So that's that's kind of a look, a a very early look at these uh, battles uh, between different starting pitchers and different catchers as they try uh, try to win a job. And uh, the numbers are going to change. It's early on in spring training. We, you know, it's probably not even completely fair of me to be giving out numbers at this point in spring training, but we're we're getting close to where numbers are actually going to start mattering for these guys, and we'll see what they look like at that point. So we'll continue to monitor these battles as uh, as they continue on, both here on Brewers Extra Innings, uh, the podcast, and we also have the Brewers Weekly Show uh, every Thursday night from 8 to 9 on WTMJ. Speaking of that show, uh, earlier this week on Thursday, I was able to uh, welcome in uh, Robert Murray from uh, FanRag Sports, and he had been uh, covering uh, Brewers spring training. And he did a piece, and it's a good piece. He talked about uh, Keon Broxton and what he is able, what what he might be able to do if he's able to take what he did in the final month of last season and, and turn it into a full season this upcoming season. Uh, the kind of impact that he would have, and and according to Murray, who's a respected baseball writer, he is very high on what Broxton might do for the Brewers this upcoming season. I saw him carry over the success from last season. Uh, last season, he started off the season he was struggling mightily, uh, and he was en- he ended up being sent down to the minors, and he was down there for a short period of time, and the coaches down there told him to move his hands down, and ever since then. That adjustment has paid off for him. I mean, he's been driving the ball. I mean, it's it's carrying off of his bat. Uh, we saw that a couple days ago when he let off the game with a, a triple off of Danny Duffy, the Royals. Um, and Brewers people are, are just raving about him uh, behind the scenes as a guy, as I mentioned in my column yesterday. Uh, that he could end up having a Jonathan VR type impact this season. Again, that was uh, Robert Murray from uh, FanRag Sports, and uh, that was fun talking with him this past uh, this past Thursday during Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Again, if you uh, if you want to be tuned into that, you can uh, do so on uh, on Thursdays from uh, eight o'clock to nine o'clock, and would uh, certainly encourage you to uh, to do that as we uh, we enjoy doing that program each and every week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. You know, from a headline perspective, again, it's it's games underway. Uh, there's not a ton to get to. I said, the, I said the same thing last week, and that's good. When you've got a quiet spring training, especially early on in spring training, that continues to mean that your team is, uh, is staying healthy, and that is good. Uh, you know, nothing... Nothing really blowing up on you. That is good. 
through Sunday's games, the Brewers are four and five. That's you know that's fine. We're not so worried about uh, wins and losses. A couple things to uh, to watch out for. Eric Thames is continuing to try to get things going. He's uh, he's expected to do so much this year uh, over at first base. Uh, he's hitting the ball hard. But he seems to be hitting into some uh, some bad luck. But through Sunday's games, he's just two for sixteen, uh, a one twenty five average. Uh, the Brewers have been playing Scooter Jeanette a ton. And not just a ton, he's been playing absolutely all over the place. And for the most part, he's done a really good job at the plate. Uh, he leads all Brewers hitters in terms of batting average, sitting at five fifty six uh, through Sunday's game, a couple RBIs, a couple uh, runs scored. Now there's been questionable reports about how he's looked in the field at these different positions, but look, that's going to be... That's going to be a process for him. And if he can hit well enough to stay on this team, then you probably put up with whatever uh, whatever learning pains you might have as a result of him not having much experience in left and not much experience out uh, at third base. But uh, he did get scratched uh, from the lineup on Sunday. He has a minor right wrist injury. Um, and it's not a big deal. He told writers it's not even worth writing about, uh, but just something to keep in the back of your mind. We'll watch this as it uh, as it goes forward. Players who are participating in the World Baseball Classic, they are uh, getting out of town as uh, Carlos Torres, um, is uh, Hiram Burgos, Jorge Lopez, Hernan Perez, uh, first base coach Carlos Sabero, uh, Jonathan VR, Willie Peralta. They have all now uh, left the team, and they are going to be working out with their respective uh, WBC teams in uh, in other areas, and then uh, play will start very, very soon. So that's going to open up opportunities for other guys. You know, going back to Scooter Jeanette, he's going to get some opportunities. We've seen a little bit of uh, Lucas Ersig, uh, a young guy who recently drafted playing some at third seems to be impressing maybe he's on the fast track to the big leagues not that he'll break camp with the team but he's uh getting some time so certainly a number of individuals are going to get even more opportunities because of all these players who have gone to uh to the world baseball classic also want to mention we we spend so much time and we'll have our minor league report coming up uh later on the program when we talk with uh dan karcher the voice of the uh triple a uh brewers triple a affiliate the colorado springs sky Sox. but uh mlb pipeline did their annual re-rank of the top farm systems and we know the brewers have a good farm system but they move up four spots in the rankings they go from number nine to number five they have the the best farm system of all the national league central teams they come in at number five the uh, pirates are number seven the reds are number nine uh, both the cardinals and cubs are not on this uh, list in terms of the uh, the top 10 what i find interesting about this and something really cool that mlb pipeline does is uh, they they break down the top 30 prospects for the team, how they were built, and when they're going to get to the big leagues. So how they were built, 16 of them, so just over half, were drafted. One's an international signing, but then 13, almost half, just under half, 13 of the Brewers' top 30 prospects have been acquired via trade. 
that's pretty impressive. And uh, that's a credit uh, to David Stearns. That's a credit to Ray Montgomery, and even to a lesser extent, Doug Melvin, because this thing got uh, restarted uh, the, in terms of the rebuild right when, uh, right at the end of Doug Melvin's tenure as the general manager. So 13 of the top 30 prospects in the organization were acquired via trade. The other number that's interesting is the, the breakdown by estimated time of arrival. So when MLB Pipeline expects these guys to make it to the big leagues, and for 2017, this upcoming season, they've got six arriving. And that would be a Lewis Brinson. That would be a Josh Hader. Those are guys that I think we're going to see wearing uh, Brewers uniforms at some point over the course of the year. Of the four years that they list, they go out for the next four years, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. 2018 has the biggest number, as 11 of the top 30 are expected to arrive in 2018, and then 10 of the top 30 expected to be there by 2019. So as you kind of think to yourself, when this rebuild is really going to be done and they're just going to be rolling along, you can think in terms of those numbers, and obviously not. You know, you got a 25-man roster. You got guys on this team who are going to be on this team for a, for a long time coming. There's a lot of these top 30 prospects that are going to be playing for other teams. There's going to be some of these top 30 prospects that don't ever make it to the big leagues, that don't uh, totally fulfill their promise. But you start looking at this, and you start seeing, you know, 2018, 2019. So many of these guys at the big league level expected to perform at a high level, and also, mind you. You know, look at what Orlando Arcia did last year. He struggled, especially at the plate. Was a good defender, but struggled at the plate. Just because a guy shows up in 2018 doesn't mean he's going to be performing at a real high level at that point. Uh, but but good to see that you know the, these guys are are right around the corner. And I think this team is going to take a step forward this year. But then you look at the next two years after that, and there could certainly be some big big step forwards after that. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. It is now time for our Social Media Roundtable as we talk with uh, various uh, bloggers, authors, podcasters all around uh, the web. And uh, this week, we're very happy to welcome in. He is the editor of uh, BP Milwaukee. That is uh, Baseball Prospectus. His name is uh, Nicholas Zettel. You can follow uh, BP Milwaukee on Twitter at BP Milwaukee. Nicholas, uh, really appreciate you taking some time with us today. How are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to talk Brewers with you today. Yeah, you know, baseball prospectus, uh, you guys you guys go deep on on some on some, you know some not so uh, everyday Joe Schmo sports fan numbers I mean in terms of the the saber metrics and the advanced statistics and all that sort of stuff you guys really do a lot with that can you kind of explain the the position that baseball prospectus takes uh, in 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 the prospecting and, and everything and the way you guys kind of go about things Sure, absolutely. Um, I would actually, I would encourage Brewers fans to um, to especially pay attention to a baseball prospectus because um, BP really works with um, scouting and analytics together. So, for instance, um, if you have a prospect-heavy system like the Brewers do right now, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of scouts on the ground working on actual scouting reports, and um, they're quite different from uh, 
other industry sources. So like MLB Pipeline will publish different scouting reports. Baseball America will publish different scouting reports. Baseball Perspectives will give you another look on the prospects from the scouting vantage point. And then um, from the advanced stats perspective, they're really um, they're quite innovative in terms of looking at um, the contextual aspects of the game. So, for instance, one of the pitching statistics that came out is uh, really looking at how command works for pitchers and how pitchers can steal called strikes and how how pitchers can add specific called strikes to. Um, to their team and what that means for command control and um, basically how they execute. So, for instance, Brewers fans might be really interested to know that if you think if you think Zach Davies looked like a really great pitcher last year, that was actually true. He he commanded the strike zone better than any pitcher in the MLB. He he had the best percentage of called strikes added to the Brewer uh, to the team than any other. He added more called strikes to the Brewers than any other team had a pitcher add. So basically, you could look at a pitcher like Zach Davies, and you could think, yeah, he's a he's a guy who really works with command and, and commands the ball well. And the stats actually bear that out. So um, there's a new there's a new statistic in that regard. So it's um, I use that example so that people think that statistics. Statistics don't always go against what your eye says. I think there's like this kind of false idea that that you would use statistics to counter what you see, but in a lot of cases they actually back up. So, for instance, if you want to learn about command, that's a great example of a baseball perspective stat that just came out. It's brand brand new from January, and it's just one example of the type of advanced statistics that BP leads leads the way with. It, that's an interesting point you make because there seems to, like you said, and I'm going to kind of repeat something you just said, but there there seems to be this thought process that what you see on the eye test, which is kind of a vague term, but the eye test and advanced metrics a lot of times don't line up. And sometimes they don't line up, but a lot of times they do line up. Is that important for kind of the old school baseball people out there to understand as they start to recognize and adopt uh, this new age of how we really evaluate baseball players? I would say it's absolutely important. I would say... To be perfectly honest, I don't even think there would be there should be a debate, and I think that's where BP excels is that they take the they take the eye test and the statistical analysis all the way. They they it's kind of a both and you know they don't they don't separate one from the other. You have actual scouts and you have actual um, like serious statistical analysis, and so um, I think. I think it's really easy to frame debates in either-or status, and so where BP excels is by kind of doing neither. They they work on both areas of the game so that you can you can get a complete picture rather than um, I I don't know I really don't like the old time old time versus analysis sort of debate. I think it's way it's way more complex than that, and so BP has a lot of ways to has a lot of tools to kind of get around that debate. There are times, though, where some low-round draft pick who wasn't really respected, maybe he was a four-year college guy, so you know he's, he's 22 years old when he gets drafted, and uh, he starts to perform better, and all of a sudden you start applying some of those advanced statistics on him in the, in the lower minor leagues, and you say, hey, 
this guy might turn into something, and what do you know, he does turn into something. Do you do you take joy when you have situations like those? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're talking about Brent Suter or uh, <laughs> John Karen. Some The Brewers have some guys like that. Yeah, He's, uh, yeah or um, I think Mike Fires is a great example of that. He's one that it's easier to talk about him since he's been successful for a few years, so you know he's a true... He's a true late round success story, but yeah, you absolutely have to. You have to look at every single pick, um, and I think prospect lists are really great. Um, I think for a team like the Brewers, Brewers fans are really going to latch on to those prospect lists right now because a lot of people might say, "Oh, you know, it's it's going to be a couple years before maybe they're a, a true contender on paper," but. Um, so, you know, you'll, you'll want to look at those prospect lists. But, yeah, you have to look at every single pick up and down the system. Every every player in the system is working towards the same goal of reaching the MLB. And uh, some of those late-round picks might actually have skills that translate better to the game than uh, players that are picked before them. We're talking with uh, Nicholas Zettel. He is the editor of uh, BP Milwaukee. I think sometimes Doug Melvin gets a bad rap uh, for for what happened, and you know a lot of people really appreciate what David Stearns is doing. But you had a piece recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, that talked about the the number of the top 101 prospects uh, from from baseball prospectus that the Brewers have, and you made the point that uh, you know a number of them did come from the from the Doug Melvin time period, and you. Without Doug Melvin, there'd be no Zach Davies. There'd be no Domingo Santana. That rebuild started when Melvin was in charge. Did, does he get a bad rap because of uh, because of what Stearns has been able to do since he came in? I think he gets a bad rap, absolutely. And to be perfectly honest, I think I think Doug Melvin just gets a bad rap since he was Brewers GM for so long. I mean, just wait for David Stearns. If David Stearns sticks around for a decade, there will be people who dislike him just as much as people dislike Melvin. I think. If you have a high-pressure job like that, I mean, these GMs are basically like CEOs in a lot of ways. They're like, they're true executives. And so if, if you have anyone who sticks around for a decade, you're going to make a lot of enemies, especially if you're as successful as Doug Melvin. But to be perfectly honest, I think if you, if you look at the roster the Brewers are putting together today, they're already going to be a competitive ball club. They might not be a great ball club just yet, but they're already going to be competitive. And the reason that is is because of how quickly Doug Melvin turned around the system with some trades. And I'd also like to add that he made the great decision to hire Ray Montgomery after um, Bruce on untimely passing. Um, so signing Ray Montgomery was a huge move. He's been he's been promoted within the system and um, if Doug Melvin doesn't move as quickly with those trades the team is not as far along today as they are so I think you absolutely have to give Doug Melvin that credit and he doesn't deserve the bad rap that he gets from a lot of people. Now I, I've been impressed with David Stearns and everything he's done and, and I like uh, let me throw this at you because I've said this a few times on uh, on WTMJ radio here Anytime you have a general manager 
they're going to make some moves that just quite simply don't work out. That, you know, if it's a trade, the other team got the better end of it. Or uh, if you let somebody go, they're going to go have a lot of success and you're just going to wish you still had them. With David Stearns, and it's still very, very early on in his tenure, but I look at the various moves he's made and I feel like either he's won all of his moves or the jury is still out on the moves. I don't, I don't feel like he's lost any moves yet, if that makes any sense, uh, which is pretty impressive. He's going to lose some moves at some point. Uh, do, would you agree with, with that statement from me? Um, it's really hard to say. I would, I would agree to some extent. Um, I've been working on trade analysis all offseason, and one thing you have to do, I kind of like it to co- liken it to cost-benefit analysis and economics, that you kind of have to, you have to look at a project before it begins, you have to look at it while it's going on, and you have to look at it after the fact. And I think some of the trades, um, some of the trades that David Stearns have make, has made haven't looked that great, like, right away, and then, then they kind of jump out after a year or so. And I think there's going to be some more trades that come along this year where, um, for instance, I think the Adam Lynn trade is, like, totally in, in flux right now. We have no idea what to say about that trade. Um, it could end up being the biggest value haul, um, even bigger than Jonathan VR in some ways, which, I mean, Jonathan VR is probably the most valuable um, player that, that Stearns has acquired yet. But So I guess this is a long-winded way of saying, I think... I, I would generally agree with you. I think there's some moves where, if you really want to nitpick, I don't necessarily think he got the best possible value for some of the players. But overall, I think he's done a great job of returning um, some high-risk, high-reward players to the system, which is what we're seeing playing out. This team going forward this year, there's questions uh, behind the plate at catcher. Uh, the back end of the bullpen probably is not as strong as it was last year. But outside of that, I feel like most positions, you know, I guess first base is, first and third base could be questions depending on what Travis Shaw is able to do and, and Eric Thames are going to do. But there's definitely some optimism about uh, about those two guys. Do you do you expect this team to take a step forward this year, take a step back, kind of be the same they were last year? And I'm not just talking from a win loss perspective. I'm talking from a from a kind of a competitive standpoint as well. I would absolutely expect them to take a step forward, and I think I would agree with you completely that outside of the winner-loss column, now you're looking at development, and what's so exciting about this team is that, if you look at it, David Stearns has kind of set it up so that anybody can win a job. So there's really up and down the system, there's not there's not much to find at the MLB level that's going to be blocking anybody. So... Um, I really think you're going to see some elite athletes getting a chance to fight for their livelihood. Um, they're going to have a chance to to solidify their MLB careers, and I don't think fans should take that lightly, and I think that we should enjoy watching these guys play competitive ball. I think they're, you kind of saw it at the end of last year where I think um, even um, even the Chicago Cubs said at the end of the season that the Brewers were playing like a really pesky competitive team because they just have all these guys fighting for jobs and um, these guys are out to make their careers. So it's going to be a really fantastic season from that perspective. You're definitely going to see a step forward because we're on to the development stage where these guys definitely have, have a chance to make their MLB careers. So I would totally, totally say it's going to be step forward territory. 
What do the numbers say to expect from Eric Thames at first base? I think the numbers are all over the place. I'm I'm representing baseball perspective here, and BP BP's system was the lowest on Thames, and I think the honest truth on him is that you really have to look deep into any mechanical changes he made in uh, the Green Baseball League. There's um, there's a really great analysis that came out of, I, I can't remember the specific site, it might have been Beyond the Box Store, but there's an analysis that suggests that he might have changed his swing in Korea. So if that's true, then all bets are off, and we really don't know what to expect. Um, I would say at worst he's going to be a very like effective platoon player, and I think at best you end up stumbling upon a late, a late blooming slugger like Edwin Encarnacion or Jose Bautista. That would be like the absolute best case scenario. There's these kind of sluggers that are suddenly breaking out in their late twenties, early thirties, and he might be, he might be the type of player that could pull that off if those mechanical adjustments are true. But at this point, there's really no way to know, and it's up to it's up to Thames himself to prove it. So that'll be really exciting to see. Last question for uh, Nicholas Zettel. He is the editor of uh, BP Milwaukee. That is uh, Baseball Prospectus. He had a piece recently, uh, and, and the title was Austerity and Collusion. And, and you kind of compared uh, the revenue that is coming into Major League Baseball and the increase in revenue, and then comparing that to uh, the increase in spending and kind of showed that they're not moving together. Do you feel like there's um, there, there's some unwritten agreements from from baseball owners that uh, they're going to control their spending and look we've seen a ton like you know Matt Wieters is a great example of you know teams just not being willing to sp- uh, spend a lot of money Chris Carter is another example he's making three and a half million dollars but is there mm-hmm. is there something going on where this just isn't a coincidence but owners have kind of uh, come together and said look we need to we need to take spending and we need to limit it a bit going forward I don't think there's any coincidence and I think it's I think what happens is when you hire an elite group of professionals like these, these, um, like Ivy League, these Ivy League finance people, I mean, these people are trained to shred economic deals. Like they're, they're trained to win every piece of value that they can get in any deal. And so when you, when you stockpile all of this talent in the executive ranks, what you're going to end up seeing is a group of people that can really effectively redistribute revenue to the owners. And so I think fans like to look at rebuilding because you get prospects, you get you get this really big vision about the future. But when you're really looking at it, MLB teams are are engaging in highly non-competitive practices and they're also transferring contracts from very well-paid MLB players to uh, criminally underpaid minor league players. Yeah. And it's it's an extremely problematic practice because, I mean, there's there's and neither MLB nor the players' union are in a position to defend these minor leaguers. So it's just it's a practice that is very very lucrative for MLB teams, and they can sell it to their fan bases because they say, "Look, we're playing to the future," but what you're really doing is transferring revenue to the ownership ranks. Um, I mean, I think the Brewers are doing a great job in terms of building talent, but you can look at how they're dealing with revenue as well. And you can say, look, 
what is Mark Atanasio and the ownership group going to do with the uh, $80 to $120 million they're saving between the last two years? That's a huge revenue shift. And at a certain point, if they don't start winning ball games on the field, you can start asking, well, where is that revenue, like how is that revenue going to translate into MLB wins? So I think, but I don't want to single out the Brewers here. This is like an industry-wide trend, and I think, I think you have to look at the elite hiring practices out of Ivy League institutions and Ivy League ex- economists. That's like a huge, that's a huge red flag there in terms of what those people are trained to do. And so it shouldn't necessarily be surprising that MLB is, is kind of going through that transfer of revenue because of those hiring practices. I tell this story any opportunity I get to tell the story because I think the situation should be known more by people. So just bear with me for a second while I, while I share this. Uh, sure. When I was working in the in Low A, I was working in the Midwest League, and the team that I worked for had a number of uh, Latin American players, Dominicans, Venezuelans, and especially the Dominicans. Uh, they would all live in a small apartment together. We're talking six, seven, eight guys in, in an apartment together. And they would, uh, they would any money that they had extra, they would send back home to the Dominican to support their families, and they're making like eight hundred dollars a month, so it's not that much sure. money. But you know, they would they would eat the spread at the ballpark. They would save their meal money, which was only like twenty, twenty five, thirty bucks a day, and they'd live in horrible conditions all together. And let that, look, that's just not right. And and I know it's a little bit different right. when you're talking about Dominicans versus Americans because they're partly choosing to do that because they send money back. But I think that situation shows you something needs to be done. Uh, you know, Not every single player playing minor league baseball gets a huge bonus when they sign. They're not all first-round right, picks. Right. So there's, there's got to be some changes made. Yes, yes. And let me, let me say I completely agree with that, and I totally believe that story. And I think there's other people who have documented it as well. And so all I'd want to say is that I think you can, you can get MLB you can get minor league prospects to the point where every minor league player together would um, would basically, I guess the aggregate salaries would add up to $1.2 billion, and the owners would still get to take home more than $5 billion a year. So it's just, it's such a lucrative industry, and the fact that it's such a lucrative industry with such a large poverty-level um, wage base is just, it's criminal and it's really got to be something that changes um, because it, there's just no way that these this level of elite professional should be earning that that type of wage. These guys are elite elite athletes, and even even a 35th round draft pick should be making well over twenty thousand dollars a year um, for their for their skills. We've been talking with uh, Nicholas Zettel. He's the editor of BP Milwaukee. You can uh, follow them at BP Milwaukee on Twitter. Their website is bpmilwaukee.com. Baseball Prospectus puts out uh, publications and uh, their 2017 book, which uh, I am still expecting to get. It should be on my doorstep at some point uh, tomorrow. It's it's always a great read. Uh, Nicholas, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. This was fun, and hopefully we'll uh, get you back on. on the program soon. Thanks so much. I really do appreciate it. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. 
Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast rolls on. We're powered by WTMJ Mobile. I'll tell you what, this is an absolute treat for me. I spent uh, six years working in Colorado Springs as uh, one of the broadcasters for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. And uh, I was lucky enough to work alongside uh, this guy. And he's absolutely one of the best broadcasters uh, out there and probably the person who's impacted me from a broadcasting standpoint more than anybody else. The, uh, the very talented, longtime broadcaster of the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, we welcome in uh, Dan Karcher. Dan, thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great now that I heard that introduction, Matt. That was great, just like I had scripted it. I appreciate that. There, there you go. Well, well, I mean every word of it. It's uh, uh, I was blessed to work uh, alongside of you for uh, for six years, and I certainly there are many nights uh, during the course of the summer that uh, uh, I, I look back very fondly on, on what I got to do uh, alongside of you. So that that was a lot of fun, at least for me. Well, the feeling is mutual. Uh, we had six great years together, and uh, you are a great broadcast partner. And, uh, you know, really some big shoes to fill, both literally and figuratively speaking. So uh, we certainly miss you here in the Springs, but glad you're doing well there in Milwaukee. Well, I appreciate that. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about the Sky Sox, as uh, a lot of members of the Sky Sox are taking part in, in big league uh, spring training. In fact, some of them are going to be, uh, be playing in the, the World Baseball Classic. Do you, uh, do you have any op- opinion on that? Like, uh, Hiram Burgos were so good last year. Do you like the fact that he gets to go out and perform kind of on a world stage? Absolutely. I, I think it's outstanding, uh, for, especially for guys like Hiram Burgos, who is, number one, a great person, and number two, he, he does such a phenomenal job for the organization uh, at the AAA level, uh, kind of uh, stabilizing the, the starting rotation down here. Had a tremendous season last year, uh, coming off shoulder surgery uh, uh, the year before. He, he really excelled at the AAA level. He's a professional. He's a great leader to have on on the pitching staff, and to, and to be able to uh, afford him the opportunity to uh, be on that national stage and play on national TV, I think, is uh, so deserving of a guy like uh, Hiram Burgos. And, and so I'm, I'm just uh, totally pleased that he, uh, he's going to be on that stage uh, this year, and I'm looking forward to watching him pitch. What does it say about pitchers like him, uh, a Jacob Barnes, a Brent Suter, guys like that who – go into Colorado Springs, and, and the, there's been a lot of talk about how challenging it is to pitch there, but it seems like guys like that, it has been no challenge whatsoever. Well, I think it speaks of their mental makeup, and, and it tells you how strong they are, and that's only going to benefit these guys once they get to the Major League level, uh, because um, obviously it's, it's a lot tougher to pitch to Major League hitters than it is to AAA hitters, and if you can survive in, in an environment like Colorado Springs, uh, certainly you're going to uh, accomplish a lot as far as your uh, challenges are concerned, and, and that should carry over if you approach it in the right manner uh, to your uh, challenges at the major league level. So uh, these guys uh, that you mentioned, uh, and Zach Davies was in there as well, I mean, they just uh, never uh, mentioned or made it any kind of um, issue about pitching in the springs. Now, maybe in the back of their minds, and I'm sure – all the talk surrounding uh, pitching in, in Colorado Springs uh, was uh, very well um, apparent, but they never uh, they never verbalized that uh, when it came to talking with me or, or other people uh, in the media, and they just went about their business. And I think it uh, benefited those guys, and, and I think the results show uh, showed 
uh, as soon as they got called up to the big leagues and, and displayed what they could do on, on a bigger stage. It was for a very short amount of time, but Junior Garrett did start his season last year in Colorado Springs. Would have you ever imagined the kind of big league season he would have had based off that, that small sample size you saw with him in Colorado Springs? Yeah, I think I'd be uh, disingenuous if I did say I, I saw that coming because uh, we were all surprised to kind of see this guy um, spring onto the scene like he did there at uh, AAA in the Pacific Coast League. I mean, he was uh, absolutely uh, phenomenal uh, when he started the season, as, as everybody well knows by looking at his numbers. Um, he had an electric fastball. He, he mixed his pitches well. He was aggressive. He um, uh, had, had tremendous mound presence, and, um, and then that obviously transferred over to the major leagues, and, and he, he's another guy that displayed uh, a strong mental makeup. And, uh, boy, I tell you, what a find for the Brewers. And uh, whoever, uh, whoever went out and uh, signed this guy and, and uh, went ahead and uh, took a flyer on him certainly deser- deserves a raise because uh, they saw something in Junior Garrett that a lot of people didn't see and passed on him, and, and the Brewers uh, benefited. Uh, from those decisions. One of the guys who f- people are very familiar with here in Milwaukee is Tim Dillard, and not so much for his time at the big league level with the Brewers, but more for his Twitter activity and his dub smashing and, and all that sort of stuff. How much fun is it to have a guy like that on the team? Well, I mean, number one, um, I think it should be um, um, revealed that Tim was a great contributor on the field. I mean, this guy is such a valuable piece to have on a AAA pitching staff because he can do so much, and that you saw it when you were there. I mean, this guy pitches uh, anytime, anywhere, under any circumstance, just to help the ball club. And that is so, so imperative for a AAA team because of all the moves that are taking place. And this guy starts for you. He pitches in middle relief. He closes games. I mean, it is remarkable that his arm bounces back like it does. Um, and, and he's able to fill so, so many roles for, for a AAA team. So from a player standpoint, he's absolutely uh, a jewel to have uh, for, for manager Rick Sweet. And then from, from a uh, development standpoint, I mean, there are so many pressures on these guys at the AAA level because they're, they're a step away, a phone call away from, from the major leagues. Some guys are back from the major leagues, and they're, they're depressed or disappointed for – uh, for not being uh, um, playing at the major league level anymore, and and what t- Tim is able to do, he's able to break that tension with his uh, his crazy antics in the clubhouse, with his uh, like you said, dub smashing and and all of his MILB TV productions. I mean, we all just look forward to, to what comes up next out of Tim Dillard. He's uh, a tremendous talent, and this guy. I mean, if he wasn't playing baseball, I told him he should move to Hollywood because he's missing out on a lot of money based on how much talent he has <laughs> in that body of his when it comes to entertaining folks. He's an absolute delight, and we're so thrilled to have him back. And what's really going to be interesting is if Cody Decker ends up playing for Colorado Springs, I'm really curious as, as to how those two guys, if, if the clubhouse in Colorado Springs is big enough for those two <laughs> media moguls, because uh, both those guys are, are basically cut out of the same cloth, and it's going to be a lot of fun, not only to have Tim Dillard, but Cody Decker as well, 
uh, providing some great entertainment throughout the AAA season. And Decker's another World Baseball Classic guy. I'm I'm excited to see what he's going to do. He's going back to be a catcher, uh, from from what I understand. I mean, that's a they're they're getting rid of all kind of the other stuff. There's a chance that Cody Decker could be, become a, a very important player for the Sky Sox. And who knows what happens if you've got an issue at the big league level? He might be somebody who can contribute uh, in Milwaukee. Yeah, we've seen it before with, with other players that have uh, made that move, and, and it certainly has helped them uh, uh, pr- progress in their career. And obviously, Cody's been around for a while. I think he's uh, in his late 20s, maybe pushing 30 uh, there, there or so. And um, um, Yeah, so, I mean, these guys are willing to try these things at a very high level of baseball. Very difficult to pull that off at AAA, but uh, certainly it's, uh, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, we, we've had uh, pitchers, uh, I think, uh, I can't remember the names off the top of my head, the guys that, uh, I think a catcher last year that converted to pitching uh, during the tail end of the season for the Sky Sox, and, um, and he went to uh, instructional league uh, to, to further hone his craft as a pitcher. Um, there's always stuff like this going on at the, uh, at the minor league level, and Nick Ramirez is another guy yeah. uh, from my uh, alma mater, Cal State, uh, Cal State Fullerton, who uh, last year made the transition from playing first base to trying to pitch. Uh, so he's another guy that's trying to make a, a move, a position move at the minor league level. Very difficult to do, but I admire those guys uh, for, for going out there and giving it a shot because they understand that uh, that might be the, their best opportunity to, uh, to uh, move up uh, throughout the ranks of uh, professional baseball. We're going to try to have you on about once a month or so. Now, are you going to get a Cal State Fullerton reference in every single time we talk? You know, Matt, um, based on your experience with me, the six years uh, you broadcasted uh, next to me there in the Springs, I think you're pretty uh, – you already know the answer to that question. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty much uh, a done deal. Cal State Fullerton uh, is a big part of my life. So whenever I get a chance, and as you know – there's so many players out there who reign from that great institution that are playing professional baseball. Uh, I will definitely drop that in uh, at every opportunity. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, last year, there, there was this was kind of made into a big deal in Milwaukee, and I don't know if it was as big of a deal in Colorado Springs, but last year there was talk about the fact that uh, Colorado Springs pitchers changed their approach a bit, that when they were at home, it was more about fastballs, it was more about location, and just trying to be tough mentally, and then when they went on the road, they pitchers more used all of their arsenal of pitches and, and kind of tried to pitch, if that makes sense. Um, is, is that an accurate uh, description of what, what happened during the course of the year or again is that being made maybe too much uh too much being made of that in milwaukee well i really don't know the the inner workings of what went on with the pitchers specifically when it came to uh what they what they did at home and on the road but it wouldn't surprise me if that that was the case i mean um i think they're trying to find ways to uh overcome the uh the effects of the altitude there in colorado springs and and the one question i had i think i asked it to uh, david goforth during the season was uh, you know a big big concern of mine would be is do you have to change your mechanics uh, when it comes to pitching at altitude and then going down to a sea level like a place uh, in New Orleans or, or wherever we go in Nashville that might be a little bit more conducive to pitching and the answer to that question from him was no um, the mechanics stay the same but you might change your approach depending upon uh, where you are um, where you are playing so um, and that uh, that speaks to Matt for me making adjustments. So we all know this is a game of adjustments. So no matter what uh, the 
um, challenge might be, um, whether it's altitude, whether it's um, uh, pitching to a certain hitter, whether it's uh, uh, travel, whatever the case might be, adjustments are always the, the biggest part of the game. I mean, you always hear it from players. I mean, it's almost a cliche anymore uh, that they talk about adjustments, and that, that being one of the biggest uh, challenges they face as a professional player. So if they are doing that, then I would say kudos to them for, for uh, trying to overcome the issues of pitching and altitude, and, um, and that just speaks well of, of them trying to make some adjustments to, uh, to improve their game. Triple A is a, a weird thing because uh, some guys are slated for Triple A, the guys who were maybe in Double A last year. But sometimes it's a case of a, a guy does not make the big league roster and they end up at Triple A, and you got to take that disappointment and then all of a sudden turn it back around and try to get back up. Are there any, you know, as spring training continues on, are there any position battles? Are there any, you know, guys that you're especially interested to see whether or not they're going to make the big league club this year versus possibly return? Turning to Colorado Springs. Well, I think the one name that comes to mind for me is Yadiel Rivera. Um, you know, here's a guy that's an outstanding defender uh, at shortstop and second base, and he's obviously been up and down between uh, Milwaukee and Colorado Springs uh, frequently over the last couple of years. And uh, the Brewers are stacked when it comes to infielders. We all know that. So I'm really interested to see how that shakes out for for Yadiel Rivera. And, and I know they have uh, some other guys have added to the mix in that regard. But uh, I'd say he's the main guy, and, and obviously we got a good look at Orlando Garcia last year, and, and I think just uh, watching him develop as a uh, professional, a major league player, is going to be interesting. Another guy that, uh, that, that is going to be fun to watch is uh, Lewis Brinson, uh, who broke into the scene in a big way when he got uh, uh, traded from the Rangers to the Brewers last year, and he really hit the ground running when he, he joined the Sky Sox, and I know he's made an impression already at, at spring training camps, so... Uh, watching that unfold along with Keon Broxton in center field, trying to establish himself as an everyday center fielder and um, and how that all fits into the, the overall uh, puzzle as far as the Brewers are, are concerned is going to be an interesting uh, development. Also, Brett Phillips, another guy that I think, uh, you know, has spent a couple of years now in double-A and maybe um, seemingly maybe has stalled a little bit in his development process. Uh, going to be interesting to see how he does and, and where he will land when it comes uh, to opening the season here in 2017. Well, Dan, I'll tell you what, this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed being able to talk to you. I look forward to having conversations with you uh, throughout the course of the season. People can uh, follow you on Twitter, at SkySoxKarch. Uh, encourage people, once the season uh, gets started, to uh, listen to uh, the broadcast or watch uh, on MILB.TV. Uh, We're during the home games. Uh, uh, you and Dan Atchison have the uh, have the broadcast together. So thanks so much for uh, for the time and look forward to talking to you again here here in a month or so. Absolutely, Matt. Anytime. Great talking to you and all the best to you folks up there in Milwaukee. That was Dan Karcher, the voice of the Colorado Springs Sky Sox and a guy that I got to uh, sit next to in a broadcast booth for uh, for six years. And uh, I'll tell you what, he is a fantastic broadcaster. I'll say this again. He's off the line now. I'll say it again. He is uh, one of the best of the best in terms of, uh, of broadcasters. And if you're somebody who enjoys listening to a minor league baseball, you got to listen uh, to him. He does a uh, he just does a great job. And 
when uh, when the Brewers changed their AAA affiliations a couple years ago and moved into Colorado Springs, one of the things that they got along with it was a guy who is a fantastic broadcaster and Dan Karcher. So I certainly appreciate him taking a few moments and look forward to uh, future conversations with him as well. That's going to be uh, that's going to be a lot of fun for me. Hopefully, uh, you'll be able to. Uh, be able to enjoy it as well we do uh, start to wrap up this edition of brewers extra innings the podcast here is your spring training uh, schedule and broadcast schedule uh, for the next week we record this on the evening of uh, sunday march 5th so the schedule for uh, this week on monday the 6th uh, they will uh, take on the Cleveland Indians on the road. They have their first off day of spring on Tuesday the 7th. They'll send out a couple split squads on Wednesday. One team will play at home against the Dodgers. The other team will go on the road to the White Sox. Then a full squad game on Thursday the 9th against the Padres. Another split squad on Friday the 10th. Uh, one split squad will be home against the White Sox. The other will go on the road to the D-backs. Then on Saturday, back to a uh, full schedule of uh, back to a full uh, squad game. Uh, they'll take on the Padres, and on the twelfth, a uh, full squad game as well. That's on Sunday when they take on the Reds. In terms of our broadcast this week, we will have uh, three of them for you, starting with uh, Thursday that game at San Diego. Then Saturday also against San Diego, and Sunday at Cincinnati. All those games uh, will be heard on 620 WTMJ. And I'll tell you what, I was listening to the game on Sunday afternoon against the Rockies, and uh, Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering spent a good two, two and a half innings just talking about catchers and the art of catching and calling games and, and, and the whole nine yards, and it was it was fantastic. It was so much fun to listen to, and uh, we're so uh, we, we, it's such a benefit to be able to have those guys, uh, uh, you know, and just hear hear the stories and and the, the fun and the humor that obviously uh, Bob Euchre brings. But the the stories and, and what he can remember is just uh, fantastic. He's a be- baseball encyclopedia, and you learn something every single time uh, that you listen to him. Uh, but that's going to do it. That is uh, this edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Uh, do want to say thank you to uh, Nicholas Zettel from uh, BP Milwaukee. That's Baseball Prospectus Milwaukee. And uh, also Dan Karcher, the voice of the Colorado Springs Sky Sox. We'll have another edition of uh, this podcast again next week. Look forward to uh, talking to you again. Again, uh, we always encourage uh, social media interaction. If you've got any comments on the program as a whole or want to get into a discussion about something that we talked about today, feel free to tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio. That's M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. This has been Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.